Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, 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 before we dive into today's podcast episode, I wanted to let you know that I wrote a book. Yes, a real life actual book that will be available in stores and online on March 23rd, 2021. It's called The Gift of Self-Love, and it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. You can pre-order the book now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and it'll be delivered to you on March 23rd, which is the official publication date. So depending on where you order from, it should arrive somewhere around that time. I have been working on this book for over a year, compiling everything that I've learned and everything I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is that this book is a combination of not only me sharing my journey, but also it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So there are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go pre-order it now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. And by pre-ordering, you'll also get free access to my next online retreat. So this is my way of saying thank you so much for your early support on this book. And I can't wait to see you, hang out with you, and do a workshop together at my next online retreat. So you can find all the pre-order links to order the book and all the information for the online retreat at maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools that I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, maryscupoftea.com slash book. Go pre-order it today and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast. Today, I am here with Caroline Dooner from The Fuck It Diet. You probably follow her on Instagram. If you don't, go follow her. It's at The Fuck It Diet. And before we dive into the interview, which I am so excited for, I am literally sweating because I'm <laughs> fangirling. <laughs> um, I want to read you her short bio in case you're unfamiliar. So eight years ago, Caroline Dooner started a blog called The Fuck It Diet. She was trying to heal her relationship with food and she needed a place to share everything she was learning about the dark side of dieting. What she learned about food and weight changed her life. And now you can read the book she wrote, The Fuck It Diet. If you struggle with your relationship with food, The Fuck It Diet is for you. And I do not say that lightly. Like It is one of the best books that I've read in the industry. It has helped me so much. I have revisited it. I have it in hard copy and on Audible because you're hilarious, Caroline. You are so, you're so real. You're so funny. Like you're just so comforting. I feel like, like your book is really a safe haven because it's all the things you, you can't help but think like, this is me. Like you're telling my story. Oh, that honestly means so much to hear because, you know, everyone has imposter syndrome. I'm always like, Ugh, why am I writing about this? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a dietitian, and half of the people who follow me think I am a dietitian. I'm like, no, I mean, it is dietitian recommended, intuitive eating dietitian recommended, but yeah. So it really means a lot to hear that because sometimes we doubt that, you know, what we're saying matters or helps at all. And so it's always really nice to hear. So thank you. I totally feel you. I just announced my new book and I just recorded a podcast episode and I try to like batch record. So it was 20 minutes of me just babbling. 
because uh, hello, I'm like, who am I to be writing this book? (laughs) But at the same time, I feel like you not being a dietitian and being like a real human being that fell into the trap of diet culture is actually what makes you more credible because a lot like one thing I just read in your book, actually, yesterday, you said that, you know, we have to keep in mind that a lot of people who go into nutrition and uh, the dietitian field and just a lot of, you know, that health coaching kind of industry, mm-hmm. a lot of those people are struggling with disordered eating. Yeah. And it's a really good cover. It's a really good way to kind of convince yourself that the obsession with food and the hyper-focus on food and the hyper-focus on, you know, being really good with your diet is really legitimate and important because it's your job and you're helping other people. So it really is a cover and it's usually actually completely um, unconscious. Most people don't realize they have issues with food because it's so culturally accepted. Yeah, for sure. So tell us about the fuck it diet, like what it is, how it came about. I mean, the name says it all, but um, <laughs> how did you, how did you really land on it? So, so I was a chronic dieter for 10 solid years. Um, I started when I was 14 and it was sort of when I was going through puberty and gaining honestly a pretty normal quote unquote normal amount of weight. But to me, I felt like super uncomfortable in my body, super out of control around food because I'd, I'd always been kind of like a, a binge eater. And I thought that that was proof that I was a food addict. Meanwhile, when I look back now with all the context that I have now, I can see that I grew up in a really health, uh, health nut household. And so I felt really denied food. So I would binge on quote unquote junk and snacks that I didn't usually get. And so it's very clear that it was stemming from restriction, even though I was, it's not that I wasn't well fed or anything. I just, um, I felt denied. So jump to adolescence and gaining weight and feeling out of control around food and the cultural messages sort of seeped in like, oh, I I need to do something about this. I was also diagnosed with PCOS when I was 14, which is a hormonal syndrome that a lot of women have. And it's often treated, you know, like a lot of things are treated with weight loss um, incorrectly, but it's, it's really a weight centric treatment plan uh, because it's often it's often associated with insulin resistance even though you don't have to have insulin resistance to have it but it's a whole it's a whole thing that needs to be completely you know really shouldn't be treating it the way that they are because it doesn't help and it can make people symptoms worse blah 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 but of course mm-hmm. I didn't know that then and so I started dieting because I thought that it was the most important and responsible thing for me to do for my health. And of course, the more I dieted, the more I binged and the more out of control with food I felt and the more sure I was that I was a food addict. And I tried everything. I tried low carb, a million different kinds of low carb diets. I became a vegan and then a raw vegan. I was paleo. And for a lot of years during that time, I, so for like the, for the second half of those years of dieting, I convinced myself that I was eating intuitively because mm-hmm. I read the book Intuitive Eating and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you know, that dieting can make you obsessed with food, blah, blah, blah. I am going to do this and I'm going to heal my relationship with food. But I immediately twisted it mm-hmm. into a hungerfulness diet. I immediately twisted it into, oh, well, if I'm eating intuitively, I should be eating tiny amounts of food really, really slowly. I need to be really, really listening to my hunger and fullness really closely. 
what I actually mean is obsessively. I was like completely obsessed with, am I still hungry? Like, should I take another bite? (laughs) Yeah. And I was starving all of the time. I was so hungry because I wasn't actually eating enough food, but I did lose a lot of weight doing that because it was essentially a diet that just didn't have any specific foods I was supposed to or not supposed to eat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this works. I am healed, blah, blah, blah. But I would still, like, I was still, ups- I was, I thought about food nonstop. I was hungry nonstop. I still, you know, thought that there were good foods and bad foods, even though I technically let myself eat everything. And I still would binge and I would still kind of like do it wrong, quote unquote, do it wrong because I wasn't actually eating intuitively. And then Mm -hmm. I actually became paleo after that because I was always trying to, you know, I had hormonal stuff because of PCOS. So I was always trying to heal myself and always looking for a way to, you know, just heal myself from the inside out. And paleo was one of those things that promised to just like heal all your cravings, to heal your binging, to heal you on a cellular level. It's the way we're meant to eat. I was like, wow, maybe this will really help. (laughs) And I just like, even compared to how I was eating when I was quote unquote eating intuitively, but not really eating intuitively, I became so obsessed with food so fast. I was binging on all of these paleo treats and it made me really, really, really obsessed with food even more. And that is when it just kind of hit me. You know, what I actually needed to have my epiphany is what I call it like my fuck it diet epiphany is that I was following all of these paleo blogs and all of these paleo podcasts. It's like, that's when I really started listening to podcasts is when I was paleo because I needed like Mm -hmm. constant, constant talk about paleo. And I remember hearing from some women who said that eating low carb actually made them lose their period and mess up their hormones and made it so that they couldn't have... There was this one woman in particular who wanted to have a second child, but because she went paleo, she couldn't. And so she was trying to repair her metabolism and her body by resting and eating more food and eating more carbs. And that was how she was going to heal her hormones. And I was like, wait, what? I've been trying to heal my hormones for 10 years by like trying to literally barely eat and eat the smallest amount possible and eat the smallest amount of carbs possible. And I never got my period. And I got it like a, like honestly a handful of times throughout my teens and early twenties. And I thought that it was because of PCOS. And meanwhile, it could have partially been, but it also was probably because I was constantly dieting and constantly Mm. trying to eat the smallest amount possible. And I always thought that I, that my problem was binge eating which is why whenever I would hear people say like, oh, well, under eating, you know, isn't good either. I'd be like, yeah, but that's not my problem. My problem is binging. So I need to be going on these diets, not realizing that even though I was binging, I was still constantly trying to eat the smallest amount possible. And that was actually the state that my body was in, this restricted state. Mm-hmm. My body was binging to try and make up for that. But then I would always put it on another diet. So the cycle just continued over and over and over again. So I had this epiphany... <laughs> On my 24th birthday, after binging on like genuinely disgusting paleo squash pancakes and paleo <laughs> almond flour, quote unquote, cupcakes that I took all the sugar out of, that were, they was disgusting, but I was like, you know, I was just in one of those zones where I was like, must mm-hmm. eat everything. Like I just, I felt so stuffed. I felt so horrible. And I just like something in my brain snapped <laughs> in a good way. And I was like, whoa. Hmm. I've been doing this. I've been doing this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And 
it's never gotten better. None of these diets have healed my food cravings like they promised to. Like that was always the promise of so many of these diets. Like you'll never crave food again if you follow our plans perfectly. You'll never crave food again. Isn't that like a recipe for death? (laughs) Yes, it literally is. That's the thing. Like I had, I, my, something happened in my brain where I was like, whoa. And it was thanks to the woman talking about how low carb and not eating enough food messed up her hormones and her metabolism and -hmm. that rest and gaining weight was actually going to help her. Like that was the first time I'd ever, ever heard about anything like that before, ever. Mm -hmm. It was always lose weight and that'll heal your hormones. That'll heal your PCOS. That's just like our mainstream dialogue. It's what the doctor said. It's, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I had this like deep knowing that I needed to eat a lot of food and gain weight and just leave my body alone. And it wasn't even me being like, this is going to heal me. It was more of a, it was a fuck it. It was like a, I cannot believe that I've been trying to heal myself, torturing myself for 10 years, doing something that's probably really bad for it. It just was so clear to me that I couldn't keep going this way and keep doing this. And I was so miserable and I was so obsessed. I was so obsessed with food. I was so obsessed with my weight. I was so orthorexic. I was petrified of anything that wasn't on my current diet. And at that time, it was paleo. So I was petrified of gluten, petrified of like any industrial, quote unquote, industrial seed oils, which is what they call them. I was just so afraid of food. And I just knew that it was just going to keep going this way and keep not healing me and keep messing up my relationship with food forever. So I made a decision. I knew in that moment. And the reason that this was different from me reading the intuitive eating book and being like, I'm going to heal my relationship with food is because back then I immediately just twisted it into diet culture. And I was like, I'm going to lose weight doing this. That's how I'm going to be healthy. It's going to be amazing. And I finally understood that trying to lose weight and micromanaging your weight was not necessarily the healthiest thing that you can do, first of all. Mm-hmm. And second of all, it was a huge reason why I never actually was eating intuitively. It's because I was petrified of food and I was petrified of gaining weight. So it became really clear to me, I have to eat. I have to get over my fear of foods. I have to see if eating a lot more food and gaining weight and resting is actually going to help me and help my relationship with food and help my appetite. And I have to let myself gain weight. And I'm scared. I don't want to. Obviously, I don't want to. But I was so miserable. And I was so... I was over it. So I made the decision. But then I knew that I needed like supporting evidence, basically. So I actually started researching the fat positive movement because I knew that it would be really helpful for me to allow myself to gain weight if I could... Mm-hmm. read about it and learn about it and sort of like soak in the energy of people being like, screw this. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just going to accept myself as I am. And I've always had a lot of thin privilege, honestly. You know, I've seriously vacillated in my weight and yo-yoed, but I've always been in a relatively thinner body, even when I was at my highest weight. So, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt because I know that I've had an easier time than people who have to really go up against cultural fat phobia. But I will say that learning from fat activists and reading their books, I remember specifically back then I read Lessons from the Fatosphere and Fat So. Those were the two books that I read back then. 
I remember being like, okay, this is awesome. And I think that that is how I learned about health at every size and then read the book. And I was like, whoa. And that kind of confirmed all of my intuitive hunches that this was actually the best thing that I could do for my, not only my mental health, but my physical health too. So I was like, okay, this is amazing. I couldn't have even, like, I, I honestly thought that I was going to be the, the like only the lone person in the world being like, well, I think eating might be okay. <laughs> but then when I found, you know, not only people who were doing it, but evidence that it was actually a healthy thing to do to, mm -hmm. to feed your body and let your body settle at the weight that it's meant to be at. I started writing about it. And that is when I, I remember I was like struggling with my own orthorexia. Like I made the decision to kind of get over it, but it wasn't like I snapped my fingers and I was just like normal. I really was still afraid of certain foods. I was afraid that I was going to just binge for the rest of my life, but I did have this like little voice inside of me that was saying, you know, it's okay. It's normal to be really hungry after restricting for such a long time. That was the thing. I had this weird, like intuitive sense that it made perfect sense to be really, really, really hungry and for your body to be trying to make up for all that time restricting with a mm -hmm. lot of eating. And I had this sense that if I could just surrender to it, that it would eventually even out. And it did. But then it was all the stuff that I was reading with intuitive eating studies and also health at every size that I was like, okay, so it, I'm not just, you know, making up like a religion about food. Like there is mm -hmm. evidence to support that, but I was scared. And I was like slowly reintroducing foods that I was afraid of and a lot more carbs. And I remember I was really overthinking it and I was like kind of fixated on it. And I remember just the phrase, the bucket diet came through my head. Mm -hmm. And I was like, because I was so frustrated with myself. And I was like, mm -hmm. fuck it. Like I just need to like fuck all of the rules and all of the obsessive thoughts that I have about food and weight. I just need to be on the fuck it diet. And I was like, whoa, okay. I need to see if that's a website. And I literally Googled <laughs> and it wasn't. And I bought it immediately. Sorry. Like, okay. <laughs> My boyfriend and I own so many random domains. Just <laughs> like, this would be such a good idea. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. I loved, I, I've done that too. And then like, I get these emails that are like, do you want to renew tfidradio.com? And I'm like, no, I really don't. <laughs> At least yours is related to your brand. Um, I think we bought like coldturkey.com or like coldturkey.com. And it was this whole thing was years ago. I mean, I <laughs> But yeah, what I am really hearing you say, and I've definitely had bucket moments of my own before I even stumbled on you, which is why when I found your book, it was like, it just reaffirmed what I felt and, and right. put words to it. But I think what I'm really getting from this, like this bigger theme is one thing that I say to my students a lot is change is not hard. It's the decision to change that's hard. Mm. And the fuck it diet is very much that decision. So once you have a fuck it moment, and it could be anything. I mean, for most people, from what I'm hearing you say, it's, it's kind of like a small moment. I mean, it's not like that sexy. You know, some people have this like story where they're like, I was in the hospital and I knew I couldn't do this to myself anymore. Right. And like, I don't have one of those. I have like very much, it was just like a moment or something somebody said to me or something I stumbled upon or it just like hit me. I don't know. And so like, what I really heard from your story is that like once it hit you, like the fuck it diet, it's not like all the disorder eating like went away overnight, but it was like from then it got easier because mm -hmm. now, now we know what the next steps are. Like now we don't have to fight it anymore. Now we can actually just like one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, a lot of people ask me like, how did you keep going? Or 
you know, what was it like for you to go through the process? And it wasn't, it definitely took like a solid year for me to feel like I had a more stable relationship with food, but I had this real, and I feel lucky for this. And I know that some people who read the fuck it diet kind of have their own epiphany or they, maybe they've already had the epiphany and then the fuck it diet helps, like you said, sort of put words to it and have the studies to back it up. But I had this intuitive sense that what I was doing was going to help me. So even when I struggled, I I had this very, very strong conviction that this is what I needed to be a happier person and, and also to hopefully be a healthier person, but mostly happier, mostly like I really, I think that this is the right thing for me to do. And that was really helpful to have. And I know like when people don't really have that, I think that it's hard to go through the process, you know, when it's, when you're like constantly needing to be convinced that it's the right thing to do. I think that makes it a lot harder. And I think when people read the book and they really like the book and then they sort of like, you know, go out into the world and start trying and then they doubt. And then they ask me like, how do I keep going? Or how do I know that this is the right thing? I like to say, can you just kind of remember one of the moments that you had where you felt where you really trusted that this was what your body needed? Like, can you find sort of that feeling again? Because that is the feeling that sort of communication with your body or your intuition or whatever you want to call it, that will help you actually move forward in healing your relationship with food. Because otherwise it's so easy to be kind of swayed by the winds of diet culture that are constantly, I was going to say constantly blowing. And then I was like, no, no, no. Too, too far, Caroline. Too far. Um, <laughs> I thought but, where my mind was going. I, I know. And then, and then I, was, <laughs> I literally was going to tweet the other day, guys, poetry is so weird. <laughs> it really is. I mean, my mind instantly went like, it's like you're living in Chicago, the windy city, but it's like the windy diet culture. City. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it really can make the, the process so hard because you doubt yourself, you doubt what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is counterculture. It really is counterculture to heal your relationship with food and to not have mm-hmm. cheat days and to not have good food, bad food, and to not be constantly trying to micromanage the amount of food you eat or the, the size of your body. I mean, it, it's not simple because of that, mm-hmm. because you're constantly, you know, going to be re-triggered by the people around you. But if we can like continually come back to a sense of, of knowing that this is what we need. Like, remember what dieting was like. Remember what that was like. Remember Mm -hmm. why we made the decision in the first place. Because it's so easy to romanticize diets because they promise so much. They promise to heal everything, to make you beautiful, to make, you know, you're going to live forever in perfect health and blah, blah, blah. Your joints will never hurt again. You know, like we want that ease. We want that easy life that diets promise. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's just can be really helpful to come back to the why, like, why are we doing this? Why did we decide to start healing our relationship with food in the first place? Yeah, for sure. And that's like proven on a neuroscience level, not to get super geeky, but I just did a continuing education course. You know, my background is in life coaching and being able to bring up old feelings and emotions is just the easiest way to tap into and basically stay like motivated is to just rebring that up. And and another thing that I was just thinking of, I listened to this um, podcast and I don't know about you, but I was like really obsessed with also like biohacking. 
Mm. <laughs> when I was dieting, like I was like, oh, well, if I, um, you know, am keto and I, I put coconut oil in my coffee, then my brain is going to think better. <laughs> yeah. That was like, that was the theme of my paleo of like, this oh, is yeah. going to like reset everything, which is like, yeah. goes along with the, like, you're never going to crave carbs again. I was like, wow, that's what I need. Right. Seriously. And yesterday I was listening to this, um, podcast. I don't want to name what it is because I don't necessarily want people to go there. But, uh, since then this person has grown so much from this like fitness biohacking thing. And even yesterday on his like most recent podcast episode, he said something like, you know, no matter what I do, my life expectancy, according to when my grandparents died and my ancestry and, you know, I'm a white man living in the United States. Like I'm probably going to live till about 80 plus or minus a couple of years, like most likely. And just even hearing him, somebody who has, you know, been in that fitness, like biohacking world for so long, even hearing him say something like that, where he just kind of like admitted to himself that really, no matter how much you are obsessed with just being perfect with everything, whether it's dieting or productivity or your workouts or this, you know, whatever, like you're still probably going to have like a pretty similar life expectancy. And it's just a matter of deciding, do you want to live a life full of food anxiety and obsession and just constant like perfectionism and just, I don't know, just being obsessed with that? Or do you want to just like chill the fuck out? <laughs> I know. I know. And I wanted to chill the fuck out. I was yeah. so tired. You know, like I had a longer burnout story actually, like, mm -hmm. I was really burnt out from diet. Like my body was really, you know, it really needed food <laughs> like really badly and rest. And, and I gave that to my body. And then a couple of years later, I was like, Oh wow. Like I've really healed my relationship with food. It changed my life in so many ways, but I'm still really burnt out. And now I'm not burnt out because of food. Now I'm burnt out because of like my brain, like I'm still so hard on myself and I still have all these expectations on myself. And I've been like doing all this career stuff. I was still trying to be an actress at that point. I was like, I was running the fuck it diet and I was trying to be an actor and I was writing my own shows and I was babysitting and I was teaching kids how to like perform monologues for auditions. And I, I was doing a million things. And I, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I had like an almost another fuck a diet epiphany, but it was about exhaustion and burnout and rest. And I was like, oh, so mm -hmm. I just worked through all of these beliefs about food and weight and worth. And it was amazing and it helped so much, but I have so many more. I have mm -hmm. so many more beliefs about happiness and worth and productivity and like true rest, like mm -hmm. guilt around rest, you know, the, these beliefs that you have to constantly be, you know, stressing yourself out and, you know, doing all these projects on yourself and constantly self-improving. Even mm -hmm. the fuck it diet could fall into the category of like, you know, I think it was really helpful for me. Like it really did change my life, but you could also look at it as like, it was a crisis. It was like, it was me trying to save my own life in some ways, and it was exhausting. Like all of like I've looked at my life in some ways through a series of like how many exhausting fucking things have I done and believed and tried. And um, yeah, I was just like, I just want to chill. I just want to have a couple years of just doing yeah. the minimum. <laughs> just yeah. see see what that's like. That's, see if that helps. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at too. I think I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're doing research because I believe that's the topic of your next book. 
It that, is. That one, that's not a secret, it right? Is. I saw it Yeah, yeah, no, it's not a secret. Okay. It's, you know, I thought it was going to be called two years of rest because that's what mm-hmm. that, I was like, I need two years of like, honestly doing the bare minimum career-wise, socially, anything. Like it gave myself permission to just like opt out of everything I didn't have to do to stay alive. So I thought that that was going to be the name of the book, but then it made it sound like it was all about those two years when really the book is about all of the things that I tried along the way and the mentality that I had and how unhelpful that was and then the rest. So Hmm. it's tentatively called Tired as Fuck. (laughs) Oh my God, that is so perfect. But we'll see. We'll see. so aligned. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I hope, I hope. Well, yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you're doing research for your new book and for yourself. Um, And it's, a rabbit hole when yeah. I start looking into it because it's also a journey I'm on right now. And, you know, instead of doing New Year's resolutions this year, I just have a word of the year, which is adventure because I just want to travel in our van. We just got a van and, and I just, cool. I, I really just want to chill. But I was, I cried yesterday to my boyfriend. I'm like, I feel like the more I try to chill, the more stressed out I get because, you know, the guilt that comes with it. And when you mm-hmm. go down the rabbit hole, it really comes down to like, the way our society has been set up since like the industrial revolution. Um, And just, you know, you you can get really geeky about it, not just like social justice, but also like economics and like how, um, you know, our, our, what are they called? Like political, social, economic structures play into it and how we've all been fed this. I don't know, people might come at me, but this lie that we have to constantly be working for some purpose or goal or money or now it's like passion <laughs> you have yes to you know, it's like you can do be or have anything you want you yeah. just put your mind to it it's like oh my god okay okay yeah so have you read the book laziness does not exist it just came out this month uh no i want to it's so good i got a galley of it like i got to read it ahead of time and mm-hmm. i was so obsessed with it because it put words to everything that i've been intuitively feeling it's sort of like when people say like, oh my God, I had decided I needed to stop dieting. And then I read your book and I was like, wow, that's what I thought about this book. I was like, mm. whoa, it is so good. It's about the laziness lie, how we're all, it's, it's exactly what you're saying, but it puts it in a context that is so relieving. I recommend it so much. It's by Dr. Yeah. Devin Price. I highly recommend it. I really, really recommend it to anyone who's struggling with any of the things that we've been talking about. I need to get them on my podcast too now. I'm having FOMO. (laughs) Um, I really want to read it. I'm reading um, How to Do Nothing. Oh my God. I love it. I talk about poetry. Like, I just like, I almost cry reading every paragraph because it's so beautiful. It is. Like, it really makes me pause and want to just like breathe. Yeah. My friend Zoe, who she came to my online retreat um, and me and her became really close friends. She sent it to me for the holidays and it was actually on Barack Obama's book list. I saw I think. that. I saw yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm reading it. It Wow. It's dense and beautiful. And it is. I haven't finished it actually, but every time I read it, I'm like, this is the most beautiful book I've ever read in my life. Seriously. The cover's gorgeous. Like you have to go paragraph by paragraph and like reread because it's almost like reading extended essays. It really yeah. is. Yeah. I definitely geek out about it, but it definitely makes me question. Like the funny thing is, I think the author is like a Silicon Valley, like tech person, right? Um, Uh, Yeah. Or they were, or yeah, but it's just so interesting because I actually was born in Palo Alto and San Jose. And so the area that she grew up in is like where I remember like going to the park with my grandparents. And she talks about like how she took up bird watching and (laughs) like, she sees the same bird every day. And it's like, I don't even know, like the plants that are in my front yard. I don't even know what they're called because I'm just so obsessed with 
being productive that I, I literally don't even know what's, what's around me. I don't even know who my neighbors are. Like, and I feel so ashamed to say that, but it's just kind of this world that we've been raised in. And of course, you know, the pandemic isn't really helping a lot in the social aspects, but it's definitely really eye opening. I think that, you know, breaking free from diet culture is this gateway to a lot of other very deep spiritual, emotional, well-being, you know, holistic focused kind of, I don't know, realizations. I totally agree. That's been my experience anyway. Yeah. It's like the gateway drug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like you said, it can easily turn into like another self-help thing. Yeah. It's really hard not to turn it into that. And even like the fact that my book is technically a self-help book. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I have like, I almost have like self-help PTSD because I read so many and was and like applied them in such an obsessive, unhelpful way for so many years. But, you know, there are some self-help books. I'm like, I can, like The Artist's Way for me was something that really did change my life in a positive way. It's like, if, if the book can really point you back to yourself. Yeah. And like give you control over your life in like a kind, supportive way, I think then it really can help. (laughs) It really can help yourself, (laughs) can help you self-help. Yeah, no, it's, we're in such a culture of like, I need to constantly be improving. Like I'm so, these are all my problems. You know, we're constantly fed all the reasons that we're like, you know, horrible and need to totally overhaul our our lives. And it's just exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting. Yeah. When you said the artist's way, I instantly got goosebumps um, because it had such a special place in my heart. And I know you saw it in like a PDF version of my book and we actually modeled like the um, design of the workbook after the artist's way. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I really honestly like that book changed my life. That book, I I left it out of my story because I was just trying to kind of condense my story a little bit when I was explaining it, how I came to the fuck it diet. But the fuck it diet the phrase mm-hmm. actually came out when I was doing morning pages. And mm. that's when I was like, oh, and that's when I was like ruminating on the food that I'd eaten and blah, blah, blah. And that's when I was like, yeah. oh my God, fuck it. I need to just be on the fuck it diet. I have chills. <laughs> I know it really, it really changed my life. Like it really, yeah. really did. And it's why I started writing about it too. Cause I yeah. was like, well, I've just learned that creativity is healing just for the sake of creativity. So even if no one ever reads this, I'm going to write about it just for my own process. I could almost tear up. You know, those moments where it feels like everything kind of comes together. Yes. And you just feel like so understood. That's how I feel with you. Um, Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, that's, it's just so cool. So this is a bumpy segue, but I'm going to go for it. What I really love about the fuck it diet and the way you write and the way you speak and your Instagram and you're so upfront and real and funny and like, gives no fucks. And like, (laughs) you just have, you're kind of a safe haven for people that are, you know, I I find myself often tiptoeing and you give me permission to not do that. And in addition to that, you have this incredible way of explaining distinctions, which as a fellow writer, book nerd, and like self-proclaimed wordy, I love getting into the nitty gritty behind words and what they mean and like how they've been shaped and to affect our reality. So anyways, diet culture throws around like many terms and Mm. their meanings get so convoluted and we spiral into this weird, like you said, it's just obsession. We get just really hung up on and obsessed. So I want to ask you, like, I have three things Mm -hmm. because these are questions I'm sure you get so much and I'm sure people can explore more in the fuck it diet. But to summarize, um, firstly, what 
do you explain as the difference between food addiction and diet addiction? Because I'm sure you get this as much as I do, but like, yeah, like you said, I, I don't have a problem with dieting or restricting. I'm a, a binge eater or I'm addicted yes. to food or I'm, I, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. So this is a huge cultural myth basically that we're all food addicts and we all need to spend our entire lives curtail, not all of us, but most of us believe that most of us are food addicts, right? And that we, you know, it's a really noble and important and healthy and responsible thing to do to spend our entire lives trying to manage this food addiction. Meanwhile, the thing that I learned the hard way, it took me forever to learn this, is that restricting food will actually have your body and your brain mimic an addiction to food. So there are a lot of people, you know, I hear this often that you can't be addicted to something that you need to survive. So we're all petrified. And also usually with addictions, the more you have, the worse the addiction gets. Food is actually the opposite. When you are actually finally fed, amply fed consistently, that is when most people, if not all people, find that they actually have their quote unquote addiction. And I like to call it more of a fixation because it feels so much like a food addiction, which is why we all think we're food addicted. But it, it really is just this fixation that feels a lot like an addiction. When we are finally fed, the quote unquote addiction falls away. So if it really was an addiction, that wouldn't happen. It's actually the fixation. It When we are restricting, it changes our hormones. It changes our hunger hormones, the way that our body like releases them. And it makes us consistently fixated on food. It makes food taste better. It makes you hungrier. And it will also make you, um, it'll, it'll make you binge on food. And then put on weight really fast as a way of trying to actually save your life and prepare for the the next famine that it thinks is coming. But then when we experience that, we're like, see, I told you I'm a food addict. I need to put myself on another diet. And then that just perpetuates the process. So Mm. most of us think we are food addicts, but most of us who feel like they are food addicts are actually diet addicts because every time we blow it and let our quote unquote addiction, you know, control our lives and binge on food and go on a food bender, whether it's one night or months, mm-hmm. we then put ourselves on another diet, which just keeps us in that food fixated state. So what most of us really need to do is address our addiction to diets and dieting. And that is actually the roundabout way for the majority of people to address their quote unquote food addiction. Now, I I feel like I need to have a caveat because, you know, we can use anything to kind of numb and soothe. And Mm -hmm. food is often a way that people will kind of numb uncomfortable emotions and soothe ourselves. So I don't want to say like, that that's not a piece of the puzzle. However, Mm -hmm. the more restricted we are, the more quote unquote effective food is as a drug. So actually, Mm -hmm. the more we get out of that cycle and don't, you know, our brains really, really reward us when we are restricted and then when we eat. So it really does act more like a drug. When we are consistently fed, it doesn't really work as well as a drug and therefore it sort of falls away as a coping mechanism. That's not to say that we don't need to have ways of taking care of our emotions and, you know, our trauma, if that's a piece of the puzzle. But 
blaming it on food or blaming it on a food addiction is just not a helpful way of going about helping your relationship with food. Oh my God. Is anybody else mind blown right now? (laughs) (laughs) You just explain things so clearly and like, holy shit, I'm mind blown. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I thought that I was like, you know, in it, like researched everything, but that was mind blowing. Um, With, uh, just lost my train of thought with like um, food addiction and diet addiction. One thing that comes to mind is I heard something that really landed with me and it's kind of how I approach everything that it's okay as if food is your, one of your coping mechanisms totally. it becomes quite the problem. And it may be misconstrued as a food addiction when it's your only coping mechanism. So like you said, even though it's a it can be a piece of the puzzle and and that can be totally fine. And like, hello, so many of us love to eat chocolate when we're sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it kind of becomes probably a little bit more debilitating when it's the only way we know how to deal with our problems when it's like the only piece of the puzzle. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the goal is to just kind of like expand, like just add more puzzle pieces, I guess. Exactly. And, but then the other thing, like the other piece of everything is, you know, because we live in this culture, if food is our primary coping mechanism, most of us feel a lot of guilt and stress and shame about it and probably try and put ourselves on diets in between those times that also like perpetuates it. So, you know, people think, okay, well, I'm an emotional eater. So I do need to curtail my eating when I'm emotionally eating or whatever. And that just inherently sets up this restrict binge, restrict binge cycle. So restriction is really never the answer, even if emotional eating is something that you experience. So mm-hmm. again, this is like so counterculture and hard for people to wrap their heads around, but it is really yeah. liberating. Like it, it, people try and, you know, trip me up too. They're like, well, what did that emotional eating? And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got allow me. food really is always what I'm going to say. Yep. So in that case, what's the difference between like overeating, emotional eating and uh, binge eating as you see it? That's such a great question. Um, I think there's a lot of overlap because we sort of will define, you know, there's no, I think we're all using those terms for a lot of similar things. Like I used to binge eat, but I thought that it was inherently emotional eating because why else am I doing it? before I realized that I was binge eating in response to restriction and even mental restriction, like guilt and shame around food, which we haven't really talked about yet. So I kind of thought that they were one and the same. I would have called quote unquote overeating. I would have been like, oh, that's just like eating a little bit too much of your meal or like eating more than you were really hungry for. This is what I would have thought Mm -hmm. before. Though I would probably still say like, oh yeah, like if you really stuff yourself, you know, you could, you could call that overeating. You could, but mm-hmm. make sure that there's no sh- guilt and shame in, in that label, because that will maybe keep you in sort of the cycle or it will, mm-hmm. won't allow you to kind of ask yourself, okay, well, why, why am I doing that? Is it because I'm nervous that I'm not going to get to eat this food again? Is it because I didn't eat enough during the day? Is it because, you know, there's usually a pretty good reason that doesn't mean you're a horrible food addict. It just means that things are going on and maybe it's a totally neutral thing. I um, define binging as this sort of almost like a fugue state. Like it's a very um, frenzied sort of autopilot overeating that's very, very difficult to stop. Mm-hmm. And we really kind of feel like our body is in control, shoveling food into our mouths and going back to the cabinets and getting more. 
Um, but it's also usually accompanied by a lot of guilt and shame while it's happening, which I have experienced only kind of makes it worse. It kind of like makes mm-hmm. the binge episode worse as opposed to saying like, okay, I'm really hungry and I'm eating a lot of food again. Why? Like, and not saying why so I could stop but Like, why am I doing this? Like, a- am I am I really stressed? Is it emotional eating or is it because I feel denied food or I'm afraid I'm going to put myself on another diet or I didn't eat enough food today or this week? There's usually a really good reason. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of look at it as a feast that your body is doing on purpose, that actually can kind of usually kind of get you out of the fugue state and put it into just a more like quote unquote overeating thing or eating a lot of food. Mm Because if you're hungry when you're binging, you're just eating a lot of food. If you're stuffed when you're binging, it's usually an emotional thing or it's a response to restriction and fear of future restriction. Mm -hmm. And then emotional eating, emotional eating would be genuinely eating in response to life stressors or emotions or trauma that's unprocessed. Um, And you may not know that that's why you're doing it, or you may know that that's why you're doing it, but it can look a lot like a binge. It can become a binge if you're feeling really guilty about it and saying, I need to go on a diet tomorrow, so I better eat everything in my kitchen. And again, it really is getting out of the restrictive cycle first and then having other ways of taking care of yourself and not demonizing the eating as much because that is the paradoxical way of having it have less power over you, really. Mm, Yeah, for sure. And if we really think about it, like all eating is emotional most eating I mean we're not like machines most exactly oh let's get together for lunch or let's have this dinner or whether it's like happy emotions or sad emotions you know it's like maybe the goal is to not be really really stressed or sad or you know anxious when you're eating but if you are that's not like the worst thing Uh, I think it's okay like and this is the other thing you know I I have a, a part in the book that is about emotions and and trauma but we sort of have this belief like, okay, I'm only allowed to eat once I process all my emotions and make sure that I'm not eating for emotional reasons. And that really, especially to past dieters, that feels like restriction. And so I I don't think that that's necessary. I think, you know, if you want to eat in response to whatever, eat. But also Mm -hmm. remind yourself, you know, if this is an emotional thing, like I'm going to make a point to make sure that I address these emotions and feel these emotions and figure it out whether it's before, during, or after eating, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, the two can can both exist and and still be like totally fine parts of your life. You don't need to like feel everything before you eat. I did that too. That was another like version yeah. of intuitive eating that I thought I was doing where I was like, I'm just going to make sure I feel everything and then I'm never going to eat emotionally. Did I you still binged. Did you do that thing where you had a food diary and you put the emotion you were feeling as you were eating? (laughs) I actually never did that, but I did my own, like, you know, I did my own bastardized version of that in my own head. Yeah. You know, you're so funny. (laughs) I love it. Um, So one last thing that I want to touch on, because I think it's important and you talk about it in your book more in depth, but when it comes to binge eating, you point out that it is very, very rare for somebody to be a binge eater usually binging is a response to restriction, whether it's like physical food restriction or some kind of emotional restriction or the anticipation fear or, you know, all the stuff that comes with it, that it's very complex. Um, but it's very rare for like a two-year-old to binge eat. Right. Um, and it's also, we don't see many diagnoses of just binge eating. I mean, usually it's 
binge eating and bulimia as it was like in my case, it was a result, a direct result of restriction. And for me, when I, when I, you know, confronted to myself that I had an eating disorder and I told myself that, okay, no matter what, I am not going to do the bulimic part of it. I'm just gonna, you know, try to use every willpower I can to not make up for quote unquote what I eat. Mm. Um, so for a while, and I would say like over a year, probably like two, if not two and a half years, I felt like I had a binge eating disorder. And that was right. only because I wasn't doing, or I was trying my best not to do the restriction part of it. However, I still had the side of guilt and shame right. and the thoughts about restriction. And, you know, my body was still traumatized and it was mm. still kind of anticipating for survival's sake that at some point I will restrict again. So right. it definitely made me feel like a binge eater. And I tell my students to be very careful with what you label yourself as, especially given that you mentioned in your book, it is very rare for somebody to actually have a binge eating disorder and only a binge eating disorder. And not have some form of restriction, mm-hmm. whether it be actual physical restriction, even if it's past restriction that you're responding to, or mental, emotional restriction, which is like guilt around food and constant like bargaining with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. So to like wrap up and summarize, one last question for you. Um, you often say that eating should be easy. I believe that's like the big words on your website. Yeah, that's the same. Um, and to end on like a positive note so that our listeners can really feel this, um, what it's like and what's possible for them. What do you mean by that? Like what is easy eating dieting look like? It's a great question. And what I do like to say, because I've had enough feedback that's like, this is not easy. Like I'm very stressed out going through the fucking diet, especially in the beginning. And you know, without diet culture. If we just were born and everything around us was like, yes, eat what you love and eat a varied diet and make yourself feel good and trust your body. And we had ample access to food. um, Eating would be easy. Our bodies would guide the way. We would not feel quote unquote food addicted. We would love delicious food, but we wouldn't feel out of control around it. We wouldn't feel guilty around it. We would just eat and we would crave a varied diet and it would be great. And that is in some ways our goal to unlearn and to feed ourselves and kind of overcorrect for the years of dieting to get to a place where eating is as easy as possible. However, I totally understand people saying, you know, this is really hard. You know, and I experienced it too, just like I'm, I'm saying, like I, you know, I overthought a lot. I was really nervous that I was doing it wrong or that it was irresponsible in the beginning. And it wasn't easy. It was, it was stressful. It was hard. It was difficult to kind of heal and unlearn the things that I had learned and all the stress that I had about food and weight. So that part was really hard. So I just want to validate people's experience if they're in the beginning of the process or even a little further along and they're like, I'm still not like easy. There are a lot of things about it that are hard because of diet culture. And diet culture has made eating really, really difficult. It's made every bite we take something that we feel like we have to like overthink about and bargain with ourselves and repent for. So that part is not easy. But if we could get to a natural state where we were not ruled by all of the diet beliefs that we soaked in and didn't get swayed by diet culture, 
eating can be pleasurable. We don't have to overthink it. We can go out to dinner and not look at a a menu ahead of time and just eat what we want and not worry about eating on a specific schedule or or eating, you know, stopping eating a couple hours before bed or whatever weird rules we had that made us super anxious around food. And also we may not have realized it, but made us feel addicted to food. Mm. It doesn't need to be like that. It really can be an easy thing. Like, oh, I'm hungry. Like, what do I want to eat? Or what do I have to eat that I want to eat? It's, it's allowed to be that easy. And then when you're eating, you know, this is something that we didn't really talk about either, but there does come a point when you've refed yourself enough where your body starts just stopping when you're full. And it's not a dramatic, like I used to just like be like, am I really full? Should I, should I take another <laughs> bite? Like it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. There comes a point where your body's like, okay, I'm good. This doesn't really taste that great anymore. And because you know, you can eat whenever you want and whatever you want, it's not a big deal to stop. And it does take a little bit of time to get there, but that's the kind of ease that is possible. And that I really want for people. Mm, I love that so much. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Obviously <laughs> there's so much that, we didn't touch on and the whole experience is is complex and individual, of course. And so I, I highly encourage everybody to pick up your book, read it, reread it, listen to it, absorb it, <laughs> um, worship it. No, that's a little too far. <laughs> that's a little culty. Um, but you on Instagram also is such a great follow at the fuck it diet. Do you have a like space or like is it actually fuck it diet? It's the fuck it diet. Yeah. Just the fuck it diet. Yeah, just the fuck it diet. Perfect. Thank you so much, Caroline. I can't tell you enough. This has is going down in history as one of my favorite interviews, truly. Oh, Mary. Thank yeah. you. So it's really fun. It's great talking to you. You too. It's one that I'm going to just keep recommending for months and years to come. Yay. So thank you. <laughs> I wrote a book. Yes, a real life actual book that will be available in stores and online on March 23rd, 2021. It's called The Gift of Self-Love and it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. You can pre-order the book now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and it'll be delivered to you on March 23rd, which is the official publication date. So depending on where you order from, it should arrive somewhere around that time. I have been working on this book for over a year, compiling everything that I've learned and everything I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is that this book is a combination of not only me sharing my journey, but also it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So there are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go pre-order it now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. And by pre-ordering, you'll also get free access to my next online retreat. So this is my way of saying thank you so much for your early support on this book. And I can't wait to see you, hang out with you, and do a workshop together at my next online retreat. So you can find all the pre-order links to order the book and all the information for the online retreat at maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools that I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, maryscupoftea.com slash book. Go pre-order it today and give yourself the gift of self-love.